We've been looking at the apostles on Sunday evening. We've looked at Peter, Andrew, and James, and John. Tonight we're going to look at Philip. And hopefully my voice will, will last. If not, we'll have a brief look at Philip. And hopefully we'll get the good parts that I want to talk about with Philip. But before we do that, I do want to encourage our young people, our teenagers, to be here on Friday evening for our teen night. I think we'll have a good time. We usually do. I know that there's a few other congregations <clears throat> that have called and told me that they're bringing uh, some people uh, from their congregation. So it'll be an opportunity to meet new people, uh, hopefully uh, to get acquainted with them and develop some friendships with other young people of like faith. Tonight we're looking at Philip. Philip is a Greek name that means a lover of horses. He came from Bethsaida, which was his hometown, which I think is kind of interesting that there's five disciples that came from this city, five of the apostles. Some uh, believe that Nathaniel was Philip's brother. And tradition says that he was a coach repairman. I said uh, from the very beginning that there are things that we find from tradition or from history that may or may not be accurate. Uh, I usually base what my confidence in the Scripture. I mention some of these things just to let us know some of the information that is out there. But the Bible doesn't tell us that he was a coach repairman. Uh, but um, he is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and in the book of Acts by name only. And we need to be very careful not to confuse him with Philip the Evangelist, who was out and we know was preaching uh, to, to the Ethiopian eunuch and in Samaria. Only the book of John furnishes details about Philip. We learn from John that uh, Philip was a seeker, that he was looking for Jesus. He was looking for the Messiah. And we find that Jesus found him. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. We know from the Bible that we've all come short of the glory of God, that we've sinned. And that sin separates us from God. We should be thankful that Jesus is looking for people that want to be saved. He's not going to save people that, have a, that are against Him or that refuse to be obedient to His will. But He's made it possible that we could have salvation. <clears throat> and it's good to know that He seeks people to save them. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I am of the belief that if someone is seeking the truth, that God will make sure that they find that truth. And that means that they're truly seeking to find out what they need to do in order to be pleasing to God. And sometimes you and I are the answers to that prayer. That it's up to you and I to take this gospel message out into the world. And sometimes when people are seeking the truth, we need to be willing and able to share that truth with them. We know that God's Word is the truth. And we know that Jesus was seeking and He wants us to seek also those that are lost, and help them to see the hope that comes by being in Christ. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 9, verses 12-13, through 13, 
we find where the Pharisees were questioning His disciples, Jesus' disciples, about why Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. And Jesus' reply was, but when Jesus heard this, it says, He said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not called... I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We need to be thankful for the fact that Jesus isn't disgusted by us so much so that He will have nothing to do with us. There are times in our relationships where we come across someone that may be involved with some very uh, disgusting sin. And sometimes it's hard to get through that and realize that there's a soul there that needs to be saved. But I believe from this passage of Scripture that we see that Jesus realizes that people are sin-sick. That they need a Savior. That they can be cleansed of that sin that's in their life. And sometimes we look at our sin and we say, ah, it's not as bad as so-and-so's or someone over there. But our sin has separated us from God also. And so being sick, we all need a physician. And Jesus is that great physician. And when we will accept His remedies, when we will accept His prescriptions in order to be saved, we can rest assured that we will be saved. But it's only when we reject Him and His plan, because His is the only plan, that when we reject that plan, then we are in a lost condition. And so we see that Jesus come to seek and to save that which was lost, and he also cared about those that were sin sick. Philip, we see, is seeking Jesus. We learn that by implication in John chapter 1 and verse 45, when it says, And Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He was seeking Jesus, he was looking for Jesus. People today sometimes are looking for Jesus. They realize that there's something better in Christ than what they have in the world. And they're seeking Him, and sometimes very difficult. And I find it hard sometimes for people, you know, sometimes we look at it and, well, they have the Bible. They have easily, they can access that Bible. They can read it. But sometimes it's difficult for people that may have never picked up a Bible. They may have had no relationship with anyone that is a Christian. There are people in this world that are like that. And so it's sometimes very difficult and put yourself in that position. If you did not know anything about the Bible, where would you start reading? I venture to say that if we started with Genesis, that we would give up before we got to Matthew. Because there's a lot of things in there sometimes that isn't all that exciting. But we need to understand that God cares about us. And that we need to seek. And when people are seeking, we need to help them when we can. It's like the Ethiopian eunuch with Philip. Not this one, but the other one. When he approached the chariot, he asked the question, Understand what thou readest? And he said, How can I? Except some man should guide me. Sometimes people need help in understanding what God's Word is and where to start and how to make themselves right in the sight of the Lord. And when Philip found Jesus, he went to and sought Nathaniel. 
John chapter 1 and verse 46, And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. I think that's a great invitation or a great statement to make. We don't see the fact where Philip argued with Nathanael. He just said, Come and see. There used to be a track with that title on it, Come and See, and it was very good. It would, you could give it to someone that may not know anything about the church or know anything about Christ, and you could give them that track. And the title of it was Come and See. And it was encouraging people to come and investigate the church, the Lord's church, and investigate what the Bible says about what they needed to do in order to be saved. And it was a simple invitation, Come and See. And maybe we need to tell people that today. Instead of getting into heated discussions with them about the Bible or their beliefs, maybe we need to show them that there is something good and tell them or encourage them to come and see. And that's why it's important that as God's people, when we are assembled together and visitors are here, that we show them a warm welcome. That they see the love that we have for one another. That we want to build each other up. You ever visited a congregation where that didn't take place? Where you walked in the door and you could feel that there was something not right. I've been to a few of those. And you know it. And it's sad when that happens because what's that tell? Visitors. So we need to have that open heart and, that, and, and try to encourage people to come and see what it is that is so good. And I believe that that's the message of the Bible when it talks about when people see the hope in you. They're going to ask questions. What do you need to tell them? Come and see where I got this hope. Come and see why I have this hope. And you can have it too. Just come and see. So I invite people. Philip went to Nathaniel and encouraged him. But Philip helped some Greeks also to see Jesus. In John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. And the same came there to Philip, which was at Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sirs, we would see Jesus. And Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip told Jesus, or tell Jesus. Again, we see him going and helping someone to get close to Jesus Christ, to talk to Jesus Christ. And brethren, we need to encourage people, and we need to be that light. You know, sometimes when we go out into the world, you're not going to be able to talk to people about Christ. They don't want to hear that. But as they observe your life at work, at school, or in the community, wherever you may be, hopefully they see something that's different about you and that will spark some interest in them. As I mentioned this morning, when we add the things that God wants us to have in our lives after we come up out of the watery grave of baptism, we've been born again, we're a new creature, there's some things that's supposed to change in our lives. And when people see that, it should encourage them. And they see that hope that we have. How that we can endure even in the storms of life. And they want to have that, they want to have that peace. And hopefully they'll be encouraged by the life that they see that we live. And so it's always... A good thing to be that light wherever you may go so that people know that you are a member of the body of Christ. From John chapter 1 and John chapter 12, we learn that Philip knew the Scriptures. Always interesting when people know the Scriptures because we know that he was looking for that Messiah. 
He knew what the Bible taught or the Scriptures taught about what to look for. And so he recognized it when he saw it. He didn't argue with Nathaniel, as I said. He just said, come and see. He recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He wanted Nathaniel to recognize that also. We also see that he was interested in the souls of men. I ask, can, can you be a Christian? Can you be a follower of Christ and not be interested in the souls of men? Can you claim to be a child of God and, and, and just have no concern about those that are lost? You know, a lot of times we have concerns about people when they pass away. We need to have that concern while they're alive. We need to tell them about Christ so that they can have that joy of salvation. Perhaps Philip was influenced by Andrew who found Christ and immediately brought Peter to Jesus. We never know the influence that we have on someone. We never know that the person that we work to, to, to teach the Gospel and they obey the Gospel, we never know the impact that they're going to have on someone else. And so we need to understand that there's work that we can do. We don't have to be you know, some uh, super force in the, in, the, in the kingdom of God. That one person that you bring to Christ may have a tremendous influence on a lot of other people. But you're instrumental in their salvation. So don't ever underestimate the power that you have when it comes to converting souls or saving souls. In John chapter 1, verse 41, he first findeth his own brother, Simon. That was what Andrew did. And saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. So we see the followers of Christ, at least two of them, that immediately when they recognize Jesus, they go and they tell someone else. That's what we need to do. Imagine if each one of us here tonight went out of this building and sometime this week we told someone else about Christ. And that individual obeyed the Gospel. And then they told somebody. And they told somebody. And they told somebody. I think you can quickly see how the church would grow. And I believe that that's the way it happened in the book of Acts. The apostles stood up on the day of Pentecost and about 3,000 souls were added to the church. Those 3,000 souls didn't sit down and do nothing. They told someone else. And so on and so on. Philip was a man who was put to the test by Jesus. John chapter 6, verses 5-7. through When Jesus then lifted up His eyes and saw a great company come unto Him, He saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this He said to prove Him. For him He Himself knew what He would do. Philip answered Him, Two hundred pennies worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. There are many scholars that believe that Philip was in charge of providing food for the twelve. And when we look at that on the surface, that doesn't seem like a big test, does it? It says, verse 6, And this He said said to prove Him, for He Himself knew what He would do. So Jesus knew what the answer was. But He wanted to know if Philip knew what the answer was. 
And Philip was like us in many cases where we're looking at the physical. And Philip forgot about Jesus. He forgot about the power that Jesus had. That He could feed a multitude. And you notice that that's not His answer. He talks about the little amount of money that they have buying a little amount of bread. How would that feed so many people? He failed the test because he failed to take Jesus into consideration. He saw the problem of feeding the multitude from a human standpoint. And he left Jesus out of the equation. We leave God out of the equation quite often. There's many passages of Scripture that remind us that with God, nothing can defeat us. If God be for us, who can be against us? We're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Think of all the passages of Scripture that the Bible gives us. There are a lot of Phillips around today. A need arises, and since we don't have from a human standpoint what we need, we conclude that we cannot do it. We don't even try. So much of the time we leave God out of our our lives, out of the equation. We too will have our faith tested. God tests our faith to make it stronger or weaker. Or not weaker. In First Peter chapter two and verse twelve it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. For ye be reproached for the name of Christ. Happy are ye. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part He is evil spoken of, but on your part He is glorified." What's Jesus saying here? What's Peter telling us that Jesus wants us to know is that we're going to suffer. And sometimes that's the test that we go through. How we suffer, how we come out on the other side tells us whether our faith is strong or whether our faith is weak. And if we fail that test, then we need to get up and and, and figure out what we need to do and strengthen ourselves. God will help us with that. We have to trust Him to help us. As we said this morning, He will empower us. He doesn't expect us to do something that, or He doesn't expect us to to say that we can't do what He tells us that we can do. And so we have to trust Him. He goes on in verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's affairs. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on this behalf. Here we see that there are some things we may suffer at if we're involved in the things that we should not be involved with. And maybe we wouldn't go out and physically kill someone, but what about hatred in our heart? The Bible talks about and Jesus tells us that we've committed murder already in our heart if that's our... Emotion that we're having, anger or, or uh, hatred. But here Peter tells us that if we suffer as a Christian, we can stand tall. We don't have to be ashamed. 
because we can rejoice. And we see the apostles do that in the book of Acts. When they're beaten and they're told not to preach, they counted themselves worthy. They rejoiced that they'd been counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. They'd been ordered not to preach and they go out and they're freed and they go out and they start preaching all over again. And the attitude that Peter has should be the attitude that we have. We want to obey God rather than man. So when we obey God, there's always people that are out there that we're going to come in contact with. Some may be close to us, some may not be. But there's always going to be people that are offended at the truth, that are offended just because you're a Christian. Have you ever run into someone like that? I have. And I'm sure that many here have. Run into somebody that just do, they don't like you because they know what you stand for. They know who you are. They know who you belong to. And that just annoys them. How sad that is, but when they do things to us that hurt us, we can rejoice because we know that that's a, a test, a trial that we're going through. Hopefully we'll come out stronger. James chapter 1, verses 2-4, through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, and that patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We're going to be tested. It's going to produce patience if we come through it in the right way. God's with us and we have to trust Him. He cares about us. He loves us. He's watching over us. And and unfortunately, I think that sometimes we look at God as just watching to see if we're doing something wrong. He sees the good that we do too. And we should be encouraged by that. And many times when someone's doing something bad to us, saying things about us, doing things to us, we want to get even. There's peace. And there's comfort in knowing that you can turn that over to God. Let God handle it. He knows. He's a just God. And He can take care of it in the end. You don't have to strive to get even with people. We also see in Philip a desire to see the Father. John chapter 14, verses 1-3, through Jesus said, "...let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions." If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself. And where I am, there you may be also. In verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. Brother, we need to realize there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Christ. And Thomas questioned him, but then in verse 8 and 9, Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father. And it suffice us. And Jesus said unto him, or saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? What he's saying is, if they've seen Christ, then they've seen God. Why? Because they were one. They're not the same beings. They're two different beings, two different distinct beings. But they were united in purpose. And so if you saw Christ, you'd seen the Father. From Philip's conversation with Jesus, I think that we learn that the best evidence for the evidence of or existence of God is Jesus Christ Himself. Look how He lived. Look at what He taught. Look at the things that He endured. He came to do His Father's will. 
there in the garden alone as he prayed, let this cup pass from me. When he found that there was no other way, we see him just go right on through with what God intended for him to do. No murmuring, no complaining, no whining, no moaning, no pouting about it. He went about his father's business. And that's what we should be doing. Going about our Father's business. So if you've seen Jesus, then you've seen the Father. Now how do we see Jesus? We see Jesus through the Scripture. People can see Jesus in our lives. In fact, in the, in, in the book of Acts, there were some that said uh, they take, took notice that they had been with Jesus. I ask, can people tell that there's something different about you? Can they tell that you've been with Jesus? I would hope so. I hope your friends and neighbors, I hope that the people that you work with can tell that you've been with Jesus. And hopefully it will encourage them. You see, God is something that is very important. We want to see the Father because we realize that He is the God of comfort. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. God is the God of comfort. There's so many things in this world that can cause us discomfort, but with God's help, we can overcome those things. Death is something that we, we don't really want to look forward to, but we do as a Christian. Because even in death, we can find that comfort that God offers because we know that as a Christian, that our loved one, has gone to a place that's been prepared for them if they've been faithful to our Lord. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, that He's able to do all that we ask or think. It says in those verses, <clears throat> Now unto Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto Him be glory in the church of Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. God knows our needs. And as we look in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, we see that He supplies those needs because it tells us there, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The spiritual blessings that we have are enormous. They're beyond comparison to what the world has to offer. But God is a God of comfort. He knows what we need before we ask. Before we even think about it. So you say, well, why do I have to ask? Because sometimes He needs to know that we know that we're dependent upon Him. And He supplies those needs. He's also the Father of our spirits. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9, furthermore, we have had, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Our soul, where did it come from? It's coming from God. And He's the Father of those spirits. Shouldn't we listen to what He tells us? Shouldn't we want to follow Him? He's a giver of all gifts. James chapter 1, verse 17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In God there is no darkness. He's a giver of all good gifts. 
Bad things, God does not give us bad things. He knows what we need and He delivers what is best for us. We may not look at it as the best thing at the time, but I think that when we look back and carefully examine it, and examine it based on the way that God looks at it from the Scripture, we can see that He's doing it for our good, whatever it may be. So Christians, we know that we will see the Father someday. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, Beloved, <clears throat> now ye are the sons of God, and it doth appear yet, doth not appear yet. Beloved, now ye are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what ye shall be. But we know that when we, he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We'll be like Christ when we come when that day comes, when we come forth out of that grave. We're going to be like Christ. The Bible tells us we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. What will that be like? What will that body be like that we have? I don't know. But I know we'll be like Christ. And that should give us comfort. Revelation 22 and verse 4, Then they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. Can you imagine heaven? You know, sometimes when we talk about going to heaven, we want to see all of our loved ones, the people that we've cared about here on this earth. But the greatest thing I believe about going to heaven will be able to we'll be able to see our Father, our Heavenly Father, and His Son who died for our sins. <clears throat> Tradition and history tells us a little bit more about Philip, tells us that he preached in Cynthia or uh, southern Russia for twenty years, in Gaul or France and then in Hierapolis in Turkey. Tradition and history also tells us that he was beaten and imprisoned and crucified head downward. He supposedly said that he was not worthy to die in an upright position like Jesus. He also asked that his body be wrapped in pyrus and not linen like Jesus. He was buried in one location and then later... <clears throat> He was taken to Rome. There are a lot of things that we can learn from Philip. We can learn that those who seek can find. And that's exactly what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, and verse 7. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. In John chapter 7, and verse 16, beginning, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not of mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Think about the glory of heaven. It will be forever with our Father in heaven. Our faith will be tested. That's one of the lessons that we learn from Philip. Our faith will be tested, and if we fail the test, God is patient with us. The Bible tells us that He's long-suffering. Philip learned this from Jesus. When Philip failed the test, he wasn't kicked out of the club or he wasn't kicked to the curb. He was still a disciple of Christ. And brethren, we need to realize that sometimes we fail the test and others fail the test. God is long-suffering with them. And we need to be long-suffering. And so we too should desire to see God going to heaven is the bottom line for every one of us that's a Christian. 
That's where I want to go. That's where I hope you want to go. But it's not something that happens just because it happens. It's something that Jesus came to make happen, and it's something that we have to make happen in our own lives. Jesus died for our sins, but it's up to us as to whether or not we accept that sacrifice through our obedience to His command. And He tells us that we have to believe. Except you believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. So we have to believe that He is the Messiah, that He is the Savior, that He is the Son of God. We have to repent of our sins. As He tells us in Luke 13, verses 3 and 5, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And so we need to repent of our sins, turn away from those things, and we turn and put our trust in God and follow Him. And He tells us that we must confess Him before men. And we make that great confession before we're baptized into Christ that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And He tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, that if we'll confess Him before men, He'll confess us before His Father which is in heaven, but if we deny Him, He'll deny us. Or if we deny Him before men, He'll deny us before His Father which is in heaven. And so we make that great confession. But it's not something that we make once and that's it. We make that confession all the time. And then we also realize, as He taught us, in Mark chapter 16, 15, and 16, and Matthew 28, verses 19 through and 20, that we must be baptized into Christ. He said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. All of those things are what Jesus told us that we must do. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, we find in the latter part of that verse, that He says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. It may cost us our life in service to Him, but it will be worth whatever price we have to pay because heaven will be our home where we will eternally be blessed in the presence of God. That's where I want to go. And I hope that that's where you want to go. And if you are a Christian, God expects us to continue to be faithful. I know He's patient and long-suffering, but we also know that He's a God of wrath. And there will be a time when, that, when this world comes to an end. And we'll be judged. And we want to be ready for that. And so when we obey the Gospel, as we talked this morning, God expects us our, our life to change. And He tells us what we need to put into our lives. We saw those Christian graces. We saw the fruit of the Spirit. We see those things that God wants us to have in our lives. The question is, do you have it in your life? And if not, are you working on it? Are you striving to the best of your ability to grow in the strength of the Lord. Are you doing all that you can in serving Him? Tonight, if you'd like to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. You have that opportunity while we stand and sing.